You're in the right place at the right time with the right people. Listen, this is a very significant week in our country. Tomorrow is National Day of Prayer. Historically, this has been a day where the leader of our nation has called upon the nation to pray for this country. And we've kind of moved past that, unfortunately. Uh, and we don't have much spiritual leadership that we can find in too many places that are calling on the people of America to pray for this country. But I'm going to ask you to do that tonight. I'm calling upon you to pray for America. America is in a crossroads. There's no doubt that our nation is sick. It believes and operates in ideologies that don't follow common sense, don't follow logic, don't follow science, and don't follow biology, and certainly does not follow the Word of God. We've got a nation that is pretending to be compassionate while allowing people under the name of being progressive or woke or enlightened to not only mutilate harm and destroy themselves, but to mutilate harm and destroy our country. We are an Acts 2-4 people. That's who we are. We've been birthed in this full gospel, spirit-filled movement that believes in revival. We believe God can breathe upon this land and change every, every, every facet of this country. I believe revival is what brought us here. I believe a revival is what is going to take us out. And just as impossible as the initial revival when the book of Acts took place when the New Testament church was birthed. As impossible as that seemed at the time, I know it seems impossible right now, but we're as poised as any time in history for a good, fresh wind of the Holy Spirit. So I say, you know, let the wind blow. Somebody say, let the wind blow. Let the wind blow. Let it blow on Freedom Church. Let it blow right here on me tonight. Let it blow on this country. And so I'm going to take you through a few passages of Scripture tonight. And I want to stir up something inside of each and every one of us tonight. I want to stir up something in you that, that hopefully the wind would blow upon each and every one of us tonight. Acts 2 verses 1 through 4 says this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. They were waiting. They were waiting. They were praying. It was a prayer meeting. They were all in one place in a prayer meeting. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. I believe this happened. And I believe it's still happening today. So I want to go to another familiar passage that speaks about God's willingness to intervene in a nation, to intervene in a people whenever people begin to cry out to God. In desperation, they begin to cry out to God and God intervened. And I believe that God spoke to Solomon, told him that if as a nation, the people would uh, turn back to him, those who had rebelled and had turned away from him, if they would turn back to him, then he would bless them. But if they continue to rebel, there would be consequences. And there will be consequences even here in America if America does not turn back to God. We know that. 
But here, I want to read this passage, a little lengthy passage in 2 Chronicles 7, but follow along with me. Begin with verse number 11, and a couple of these verses you will know by heart, but I want to read the whole context so we can get it. In 2 Chronicles 7, beginning with verse 11, it says, when Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord, Solomon was building a temple that David had in his heart to build, but Solomon is now finishing the work that David had in his heart, uh, Solomon as, as David's son. And he said, uh, when Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord in the royal palace and had succeeded in carrying out all he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and in his own palace, the Lord appeared to him at night and said, I've heard your prayer and I've chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. And he says, and when I shut up the heavens, so there is no rain. Now notice, notice this. We usually leave this portion of the second part of 714 that we quote a lot. We leave this part out. But here, look what God says. He says, when I shut up heaven, so there's no rain. Or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among the people. Meaning that there are consequences to rebellion. And when my people rebel, then Here's what happens. I shut up heaven and there are plagues and there are consequences and there's dire circumstances. And he says, when this happens, here's your out. Here's your answer. Here's what you do. When the people rebel and I bring my judgment upon the land, here's what I want you to do. He said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. How many of you think God's eyes are open and ears are attentive to the prayers offered here tonight? Of course. And he says, I've chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and heart will always be there. As for you, if you walk before me faithfully as David your father did and do all I command and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne as I covenanted with David your father when I said you, will, you shall never fail to have a successor to rule over Israel. But if you turn away and forsake the decrees and commands I've given you and go off to serve other gods and worship them, then I will uproot Israel from my land, which I've given them and will reject this temple and I've consecrated, that I've consecrated for my name. I will make it a byword and an object of ridicule among all peoples. This temple will become a heap of rubble. All who pass by will be appalled and say, why has the Lord done such a thing to this land and to this temple? And people will answer because they've forsaken the Lord, the God of their ancestors who brought them out of Egypt and embraced, and have embraced other gods, worshiping and serving them. That's why he brought all this disaster on them. Now, that was the condition in Israel at this time. And that's where we are today. And it's where we've been forever. God made it real clear. Obey me and I'll bless you. Disobey me, rebel, and there'll be consequences. And I'll bring judgment upon the land. And there's no doubt that there is judgment on our land today. So what were the sins? What were the main sins of Israel in this time? Well, there were really three main sins, and one was the sin of forgetfulness. They simply forgot God. It's amazing when you study the, the life of the children of Israel that made their way out of Egypt, how many times they just turned their back on God. I mean, how many miracles do you have to see before you believe? 
I better follow this God. But they continued to forget God. And it's easy to forget as a country what has made us strong. At the turn of the century, 90% of the public education here in America was Bible-based, Bible-related. Now it's almost a crime to read a Bible in public school, and you certainly can't pray in public school, but it's okay to blaspheme God. You can go to jail. Just recently, somebody was sent to jail for driving their car over a gay pride flag that was painted on a road and they were being destructive and they drove their car on it, put in jail for it, but no consequences to setting fire to an American flag. And I'm not saying right or wrong either way. I'm just saying you see where the priorities have fallen. It's easy for us to forget where we have come from. It's easy to forget that God is the one who has brought us to this place. So there was a sin of forgiveness. There's also a sin of neglect when we just simply neglect to worship him. We neglect to call upon him. We neglect to serve him. And we can fall into that same category. It's easy to get caught up in so many other things. It's easy to get caught up in the things of the world and caught up in, in sports and activities and, and just, just doing nothing and having your whole Sunday or your Wednesday night. And we just, we just end up neglecting God, the sin of neglecting. But then a step even further than that is the sin of rejection. We don't just forget. We don't just neglect. We actually reject God. Now think about where we are as a country. We have a motto in our country, a motto that's stamped on our currency that reminds us of where we came from. In God, we trust. We don't trust in God as a nation. I mean, we've got pockets of churches, but come on, as a nation? No, we don't have a nation who trusts in God. It's, it, it blows me away that they haven't removed it yet. Because it's, it's not our motto. It's not what we follow. Not as a country. At this point, what, what God said to Solomon is that when you choose to rebel and you begin to serve other gods, I'll, I'll turn this place into a pile of rubble. And you know where we are as a country? We're not trusting in God. We're trusting in money. We're trusting in pleasure. We're trusting in materialism. We're trusting in intellectualism, which I'm pretty convinced right now that the, the, the more book smart you get, the dumber you become. The more degrees you have, the less common sense you actually have. But those become the gods. So what's the cure? It's not in electing a new president. That's not the cure. Although I'd love to have a president that would protect the unborn child because a nation that keeps killing their children can't be blessed by God. I'd love that. But it does require a return to God. Because what? God said is if my people, my people, who are my people? Well, here today, that's us. That's the Christians. Who are my, the people called by my name? Well, who's called by Christians? We're called Christians because we are of Christ. We're followers of Christ. So who are going to be the people today? It's going to be Christians. 
What are we to do? Humble ourselves. That's a form of repentance. Well, we humble ourselves before God. We admit that we're not so smart as to eliminate God. And we admit that we're just not so strong that we can do this without him. So we humble ourselves. We repent and pray. Acknowledging that we need God. We seek his face, which is to seek his plan and to seek his approval. And we turn from our wicked ways. What are we turning from? From forgetfulness. And we're turning from uh, neglect and we're turning from rejection. We're turning from those sins of forgetfulness, neglect, and rejection. And what's the result? Well, the result is not, not before, but the result is then, if we've done our part, then God will hear, will forgive, and will heal. He will forgive, he will hear, forgive, and heal. And what if we don't do our part? Then this nation will die. There will be destruction upon this nation. So it starts with us. Remember, revival is not for the lost. Revival is for the church. Revival, reviving something that has been dead. Well, you have to have had life to be able to be dead and to be revived. So revivals for the church, it's got to start with us. So let me take you to another passage of scripture in Acts chapter three, verse number 11. In this passage, we're going to see almost the same process that we see in second Chronicles seven, 14, the same process here in the new Testament. Now, what we're about to read takes place right after Peter and John are making their way to the temple. They're going to pray. They meet a man by the gate. He's lame and he cries out for alms. He's begging. And they say, silver and gold, I don't have, but what I have, I give you. And they take him by the hand. They lift him up. He's healed. That man goes into town and he's shouting about what has just happened. And that's where we pick it up here in Acts chapter three, verse number 11. It says, while the man held on to Peter. Now this is Acts three. So this is just after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter two and the New Testament church is birthed and alive and well. And now they're going out and they're spreading the gospel and they're uh, praying for people. And this happens. One of the very first miracles. It says, while the man held on to Peter and John and all the people were astonished and came running to them in the palace called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as, as if by our own power or godliness, we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of your fathers has glorified his servant, Jesus. And here's where he gets in their business. You, you handed him over to be killed. You disowned him, disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murder be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We're witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It's in Jesus name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you all can see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. Here's where he brings a little bit of compassion in. I know you acted in ignorance, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Now, notice this. Notice what he says here. He says, repent. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that the times of refreshing 
may come. That, that Greek word is a word that means a recovery of breath, meaning when you've lost your breath, when you're dead, or you've had the wind knocked out of you. And America, I don't believe is dead yet, but we've had the wind knocked out of us. So that time of refreshing is a recovery of breath or figuratively, figuratively a revival. And so what, what he's saying here, repent, turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that the times of refreshing, that the revival, that the recovery of breath may come from the Lord, that he may send the Messiah. Notice this, who has been appointed for you, even Jesus, heaven must receive him or heaven must hold on to him. That's what that means. Heaven must hold on to him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. In other words, if you see the picture here, Heaven is holding on to Jesus, waiting for the return. It starts when the church starts repenting. When we repent and we turn to God, our sins are wiped out. Times of refreshing come. The wind of the Spirit begins to blow again, and it begins to breathe across this land. And we, be the, we are the ones who continue that breath everywhere we go. But when the church stops doing our part, and God stops doing his part. Worship team, if you guys come back up here. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. I say, let the wind blow. Let the wind blow. Let the wind blow. Let it blow in Carrollton, Texas. Let it blow in DFW. Let it blow. Because when it blows, things start happening. People have been harnessing the power of wind for a long time. In fact, some of the very first windmills began like 5,000 years ago in the Middle East. Back then, they would uh, use, they use wind to turn blades to uh, grind stones and crush grain into flour. In the Netherlands, they would use wind uh, power as, as long to, to, to pump water. In the United States, you know, back in the 1900s, they would build, you would see windmills built on all the farms and you still see them around here from time to time to be able to pump water and to be able to uh, mill grain. Uh, today, we use ceiling fans and oscillating fans, small and large, to be able to uh, create a, a wind current, to create some kind of a, a breeze. In the winter, you know, I know, I know you northern people make fun of us, but in the winter, we have chilling wind here that cuts us to the bone. We Texans, we get cut to the bone real easy. But in the summer times, there are, there's an occasional breeze that cools us off. It not, it's not too often, but every now and then, there's a, a, a cool breeze that comes in the middle of the summer that cools us off. And all year long, we have that wind that blows in our face, and we feel it in our face, and it, it, it challenges your hairdo. But it, we watch it as, it as it works its magic across the state of Texas, and it, it throws pollen and seeds from plant to plant and tree to tree. The wind is known at times to be able to blow so hard that it'll take down patches of trees. Once we get over the sadness of losing some trees, we, we finally notice that the forests are made up of this mosaic of trees. It's a, it's a mosaic of and patchwork of trees of different ages that allows the forest to support a greater diversity of, life, uh, of, of wildlife. And so what does Texas Parks and Wildlife do? They actively harvest trees to create this mosaic habitat in an effort to try to mimic the natural disturbances of wind and fire. 
And you know what I think the church has been trying to do for way too long? We've been trying to mimic the effects of the wind and the fire of the Holy Spirit. We've been trying to do it through our means. We've been trying to do it our way. We think, oh, this song will do it, or this new ministry will do it, or if we just do church this way, this would do it. No, 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 no. It only happens when his church gets on our face, and we begin to repent. We cry it to God, and we recognize that we can't do it. The only way it's going to happen is if God's breath does it. The breath of God breathes upon us one more time. So what does wind do? Let me just tell you real quick, and I'm going to stop here. What does wind do? Number one, it moves things. It moves things. And I just think we as a church, we probably sat still way too long. Jesus left here and said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And I think we might need some help going sometimes. So the wind comes and it breathes upon us to move us down the road, to move us and to get us sharing the gospel, doing what Jesus called us to do. It replaces and it replants things just like the pollens and the seeds and revival is all about the church being awakened revival can only come to that which has been alive before so it's not about revival is not about the lost it's about the church and that's why I'm calling upon you on the national day of prayer we can't expect the lost to pray for America we need the church to pray and it blows away corruption brings new life you know what wind does in the natural? Blow across the cities and sometimes makes it easier to see, maybe easier to breathe. That's what revival does. That's what the breath of God does. Makes, makes it easier to see. Makes it easier to breathe. Because we've stepped into God's zone. We've stepped into his favor. We've stepped into his plan. And it all starts with repentance. It all starts when we realize we can't do this without him. It's when we realize that we need him more than anything else. We need his presence in this place. We need his spirit poured out upon us. We don't need just to be able to come in and just do another night of, of, of church. We need God to show up and touch us and change us. You see, revival, revival cannot be organized. I know growing up, we all, we're going to have a revival next month for three days. We have a revival. We know what everybody meant, but you can't organize revival. All we can do is set our sail to be able to catch the wind from heaven once God chooses to blow upon us. And what is that sail? That sail is repentance. Whenever we get down on our face and we cry to God, we say, God, I repent of my sin. I know I've tried to do this myself. It's all you. It's only you. It's always been you. And I need you more than anything else. And he begins to breathe upon a repentant spirit. Why do we not see revival? like we want, like we desire, maybe like we've heard of before, is because we've chosen to be content to live without it. And it's time that we just decide, I'm not content anymore to live without the breath of God. I'm not content anymore to not be moved, to not be stirred, to not, be, uh, to not have my sails set to catch the breath of God. Come on, stand to your feet with me all over this place. Here's what I want us to do in just the next few moments. As our team leads us back into worship, I'm going to call upon you to set your cell for the breath of God. Set your cell 
that God's breath could breathe upon you and you catch it. What is that cell? That cell is repentance. That cell is a humble heart. That cell is a broken and contrite spirit that positions itself before God says, God, I can't do this without you. I've tried and it hasn't worked. I've tried and I've fallen short. I'm guilty of forgetting you. I'm guilty of neglecting you. And I'm even guilty of rejecting you. And I can't do this without you. I'm not content to live without your breath breathing on me, without the wind of the Spirit blowing on my heart tonight. I'm not content to watch this country that has seen so much blessing and prosperity to continue to waste it and throw it away without putting myself before the throne of God and crying out to God for one more revival to sweep across this land. That's when we humble ourselves and realize, God, we need you. If, if doing church the way we've done church was a formula for revival in America, we, we've missed it somewhere because it hasn't happened. So it's up to us to humble ourselves before God and say, God, we've tried our best, but our best isn't working. I mean, I mean, thank God for what we're seeing. I'm not minimizing anything that's happened. I'm not minimizing one life that's been changed, but come on. We see more people. I, I see more people not going to church on Sunday morning than going to church. I've had people tell me all the time, you live in Dallas, there's so many churches. I said, bro, have you ever driven the streets of Dallas on Sunday morning? There are way more people lost and not going to church than are sitting in pews. We need revival in this land. And it starts with his church, his people, called by, by, by his name to humble themselves and pray and seek his face. Turn from our wicked ways. Then he will hear, forgive, and heal our land. In the next few moments while we're, our worship team is leading us, however you need to position yourself to take a few moments to humble yourself before God, whether that's kneeling where you are or finding a place in this altar or walking up and down these aisles, I want you to humble yourself and I want you to cry out from the depths of your heart and say, God, I can't do it without you. Freedom can't do it without you. We need you to hear, to forgive us, and to heal our land and start right here with me.